Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. So we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 to 11. When you have entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as in an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God, that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians ill-treated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labour. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. And from Luke Chapter 22, verses 4 to 18. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Hear the word of the Lord. Lord, we want to see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly day by day. Amen. Today is one of two sermons I'm preaching again next week on mental furniture of um, people who are coming to the Bible, the original readers and maybe Jesus. So we're going to look at a couple of things that Jesus said and at least get his mental furniture even if we, you know, we'll see how we go. All right, so next week's going to be about the new covenant, um, which you get from Jeremiah and this week it's about first fruits, which we heard from Deuteronomy, but it's also in Leviticus and Numbers. And we'll be looking today at the, at the connection between first fruits in the Old Testament 
and the idea of Jesus' resurrection, and you'll see how that unfolds. Firstly, we'll be looking at first fruits because it is the Old Testament background to the day of resurrection. I don't know how many of you know that Jesus actually rose on the day of first fruits, and I'll be talking about that. Secondly, um, Jesus might have had first fruits in mind. He certainly knew it was first fruits when he was rising, um, but there might be a little connection in what he says in the New Testament reading, and I'll go to that. And then thirdly, Paul, James, and the book of Revelation all connect resurrection with first fruits in relation to Jesus, in relation to the Holy Spirit, and in relation to the church. So I'll go there to give you some Pauline powers um, to think about first fruits. And I'll go there in the third part. So first fruits, anybody with a garden, whether it's a balcony garden or a you know 40 acre thing or rooftop, whatever, that has fruit or fruit trees is familiar today with the idea of first fruits. You know, that first strawberry, the first tomato, the first peach, the first nectarine. And what do you do with that first fruit? Do you go out and quickly eat it while no one is looking? Do you get the whole family or all your friends and come and, you know, have a ceremony where you pick the first thing? <laughs> and depending on how big it is, you know, eat it in front of them or give it to one of them or something like that. Um, if there's a ton of things in your first fruits, maybe you take a bag of stuff to church. Um, we know about first fruits. We, we sometimes take a photo when we get our first fruits off our trees, though the possums have been the first fruit receivers for a couple of years now. <laughs> when we lived in Western Australia in the wheat belt in the 1980s, um, at the beginning of the harvest, the farmers would be taking off the crop and, and then the drivers would take it in a truck to a way station. And when they were putting it in at the way station, they'd like have a little book and they'd write, I think they were writing those days, but they'd be typing now. Um, you know, one truckload of wheat, Fred blogs. And the system that they had for giving was they'd give you a truckload of wheat. So there'd be a truckload of wheat for footy club, truckload of wheat maybe for the school, maybe for the church. It was a way of giving. And it was first fruits. They often did that as the first truckload. And then they said after the one for the footy club, you know, put it to my account, but the first one goes to the footy club account. And um, at one time we had a new convert whose name was Rob and he became a Christian and he was like so excited about Jesus and he went to the people at the way station and he told his truck drivers, just keep coming for the church until I tell you to stop. Amazing. Well, our reading from Deuteronomy 26 is set on the other side of the Jordan at Mount Pisgah. After the Exodus and 40 years in the wilderness, Moses is giving instructions for when the people go into the land under Joshua. We had this reading, thank you, Susan. When you've entered into the land that the Lord is God, your God is giving you as an inheritance, take some of the first fruits of all you produce and put them in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose. This is before they even had Jerusalem, um, but they had the tabernacle, of course. And say to the priest, at this time, I declare today that I've come to the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors. So the ceremony of first fruits, which is described here and in other places, commemorates the beginning of full settlement of the land. It's a promise fulfilled. It's inauguration of a new life. 
and the structure of this um, presentation in Deuteronomy is personal testimony. Verses 5 to 10 are a kind of reenactment of that um, first going into the land. You might be familiar with cosplay. Um, I can see um, Scott at the back there who really does it, um, but others of us just read about it, uh, where you replicate a specific character, uh, maybe their mannerisms and their body language, whether it's from Jane Austen or Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or Harry Potter or a comic book character or some other esoteric, you know, marvellous thing. It's an act of embodiment, um, taking on their values, their experiences, their example, and kind of, you know, that's you, you kind of become, you know, Darth Vader or something, not a good choice um, <laughs> for that time. Well, um, kids also do this, don't they? When they play, they enter the story, they put on their Superman suit or their Wonder Woman costume, their Frozen costume, and um, or they wield their lightsaber or their Hogwarts wand and they're right into it. And we adults, to be honest, who doesn't have that, you know, joy when they put on their um, Superman pyjamas or their <laughs> Wonder Woman T-shirt. Well, in the ceremony of first fruits, the participants identify with the first arrivals to the land and enter the story and they reenact that story. So um, they go and they say, my father was a wandering Aramean, probably talking about Abraham but maybe Jacob, and he went down to Egypt, that's Jacob, with a few people and lived there and became a great nation. But notice the change in pronouns, but the Egyptians mistreated us. All of a sudden it's about us. Now none of these guys were there. They, everybody who was mistreated by the Egyptians died in the desert except Moses and Caleb. Uh, sorry, not Moses, not at, by this stage, Joshua and Caleb. So these guys, this is not their own story. This is a story that they're taking on their Superman suit of entering the land. But the Egyptians mistreated us. We cried out to the Lord our God and he, with a mighty hand and the outstretched arm, I'm sorry, it's not a Hebrew class, um, came and brought us to this place. And now I, back to me, I bring the first fruits of this soil to you that you, Lord, have given me. So we see this kind of reenactment, this kind of entering the story that they would do each year on the Feast of First Fruits. And perhaps at other times, you have to ask Andrew Malone, who knows more about um, the Pentateuch than I do. The first fruits were given to the Levites and the foreigners, they're people who don't have their own land. And um, then people would start feasting themselves. Well, how does this relate to Jesus? Well, Jesus knew first fruits both from scripture and from his own experience. The preacher Fleming Rutledge says, if you want to know what went on in Jesus' mind, read the Old Testament. She says, there are many things we do not know about Jesus, but of this we can be sure, his mind and his heart were shaped by intimate, continuous interaction with the scriptures. So in the time of Jesus, first fruits was celebrated every year on the first Sunday after Passover. Last Supper, Good Friday, Saturday, first fruits. And it marked the beginning of the harvest season that runs 50 days from first fruits to Pentecost. So there's a whole kind of harvest mentality going on from first fruits 
to Pentecost. And Jesus would have seen the ceremony as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, as well as knowing the Jewish calendar. Jesus was also someone who liked to reenact scripture. Um, He did a lot of kind of entering into characters. He says, well, you know, Solomon, I'm greater than him. Jonah, greater than him. Um, He raises the widow of Nain's son. It's about five or six K from where Elisha raised the Shunammite's son. Um, So, you know, he's kind of like doing an Elisha there. And then when he feeds the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish, he's again doing an Elisha who fed 100 people with 20 loaves of barley and some grain. But Jesus is like better than Elisha because he has 50 times more people and only a quarter of the food. So he's outdoing Elisha again. Jesus' 40 days of of temptation in the wilderness were a reenactment of the whole nation of Israel. So sometimes he kind of did a human and sometimes he did the nation. Um, There he recapitulates the 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, The Israelites made a lot of mistakes in that time, but Jesus didn't sin. He outdoes the Israelites in his 40 days. And also, you know, that's something we remember. Oh, no, sorry, got that mixed up. And then um, in the Last Supper, question is, is Jesus doing a Joshua? Is he going, uh, talking about preparing to go into the promised land on the Feast of First Fruits? So reading to you from Joshua 5. So Joshua with the people have crossed the Jordan and they're camped. And on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while they camped at Gilgal, they celebrate the Passover. So this is just after they've entered the land. Then the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. And the manna stopped that day after they ate the food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites because from that year they ate the fruit of Canaan. So it's Jesus planning to do a Joshua on the Feast of First Fruits, leading people into the promised land and giving a deeper significance to that Feast of First Fruits. So in Luke 22, where we um, read from verse 17 and 18, so after he takes the cup, he says, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, most commentators in the commentaries I read anyway um, said that he's talking about the Messianic feast, the final banquet. So he has the Passover with the disciples and then he looks forward at least 2,000 years and maybe 10,000, who knows, to the Messianic banquet. I'm sure that's true. But was he also thinking forward to the resurrection appearances on Easter Day and through the 40 days? Jesus ate fish on Easter Day, fish and bread a week later. And Acts 10 tells us that he was seen by those of us who ate and drank with him. Jesus was feasting with the disciples, maybe just eating. I don't know how fancy the food was, but eating um, for the 40 days when he was on earth with the disciples before uh, he went back to heaven. 
So when he says, I will not eat and drink it until the kingdom of God comes, is he talking about that early, you know, now and not yet, the early part of the kingdom coming in? I'll come back to that um, a little bit later, but I first want to just go to the New Testament teaching on first fruits. Now, really interestingly, Leon Morris says about first fruits in the New Testament, he's actually just talking about Paul. Uh, this is in his commentary on Romans. Whereas in the Old Testament, the word first fruits normally refers to what we give to God, Paul usually has it for what God gives to us with the thought that more is in store. Paul usually has it for what God gives to us with the thought that more is in store. So in Paul, in James, and the Revelation of John, the imagery of first fruits is about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church, and it's now and it's not yet. So in Paul, firstly, Jesus is the first fruits. The resurrection is not an isolated incident. 1 Corinthians 15, Christ is the first fruits of those who sleep. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Colossians 1, Christ, the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead. A, a strong link there between firstfruits and resurrection. In Romans 8, we have the firstfruits of the Spirit. We who have the firstfruits of the Spirit grown as we await the redemption of our bodies, the resurrection on the last day. So we have firstfruits now, which is in the Holy Spirit in us, but there's going to be more the resurrection on the last day. Thirdly, um, first fruits can be people. So in Romans 11, um, Paul talks about the Jewish people as the first fruits. And then in Romans 16, he talks about Epinetos, who is the first fruits in Asia. He's a guy. And then the household of Stephanas, which was a whole group of people who were the first fruits in Achaia, which is like Greece. So people can be first fruits, especially the first Christians. And James also talks about the first Christians. Um, saying he's given us birth, that we would be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And then in Revelation, just for one more exciting moment, Revelation 1, uh, Jesus the firstborn from the dead uh, with a resurrection link, and then the 144,000 were purchased from among humanity to be first fruits to God. So again, um, Christians as first fruits. So we've got Jesus' first fruits of the resurrection, that we've been given the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, that we are fruits. I don't know that we're the first fruits because we're a long time after them, but um, we're still fruits, I think. And the now and not yet, the personal relationship with Jesus in the now and the great um, future resurrection to come. So just returning to first fruits and Luke 11, uh, sorry, Luke 22. Jesus was eating and drinking with the disciples on the day of first fruits and afterwards. And, you know, we just kind of think about our own eating and drinking as we think about that. Particularly, let's think about in Holy Communion, that we remember the death of Christ, and we're good at that, but also his resurrection. We can recall that Jesus crossed the Jordan and enters the promised land, celebrating with his disciples and bringing in the kingdom of God, looking forward to his ascension and a greater harvest at Pentecost, which was also a harvest festival, and the final celebration of the resurrection from the dead 
and the Messianic banquet. And the liturgy in the communion kind of brings these things out about resurrection and about um, our um, being sustained through Christ. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given to you, preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. It's not just about Jesus dying, which was so good, but also his resurrection and what he's preparing us for. In the 1990s, we were working in Hong Kong, partly in Vietnamese refugee camps. There was a team from churches visiting camps and telling stories about Jesus uh, using translator uh, to people from both North and South in Vietnam. And some were just completely unfamiliar with the stories. One week we heard that a number of people become Christians and we asked what had happened to trigger this. Apparently, they'd been listening to the stories about Jesus as if they were beautiful um, legends or fantasies, you know, Robin Hood, Lord of the Rings. And then they realised that for Christians, we believe these stories were true and their lives were changed forever. And so were ours as we saw God at work in their lives. In 1997, there was a change of government. Those who are unable to be resettled in a third country um, had to return to Vietnam. Some of them had been political refugees, so that was really scary, and others thought they might be persecuted for their new faith if they were going back to non-Christian settings. And one of their favourite songs expressed their courage and their trust in God because of their present relationship with Jesus and their hope in the resurrection. And that was because he lives. And I'd just like to read um, the words that they like to sing as a prayer. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Thank you.